This is the Dice Tower Network at Dicetowernetwork.com. And welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode 46, Days of Wonder. We are a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. I'm Tony. This is Marty. And we are going to jump right into our show tonight. Why, you ask? Why not the friendly banner? Why not the actual conversations we always have before? Because we've got some very special guests on tonight, and we do not want to waste their time listening to us just go on and 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 on. So anyway, first off, from our gaming group, we have Lee Shelton. He is joining us tonight to tell us all about his Gen Con experiences along with helping me explain games now marty who else do we have on we're also very proud to have lance meikster who you also may know as undead viking who has those wonderful reviews that he has on his channel the undead viking youtube channel so welcome guys Thanks. hey boys uh, lee yep <laughs> how you doing thanks for having you me. there lee there we go Okay, well, that was off for a roaring start. All right, very good. No, 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 thanks a lot for having me on, too, guys. I really appreciate it. Like I was telling you earlier, I will uh, go on anybody's podcast anytime as long as uh, I don't have any prior commitment. So it's pretty cool. And plus, we have the big news today that I know we're going to jump in and talk about. So I was kind of excited to talk about that. So So let's jump on into that. So this is going to come out about a week after this news hit. But today, uh, it was announced that... Asmodee has acquired Days of Wonder. And I don't know if anybody saw that coming. Does anybody even know that Days of Wonder was even looking to be acquired? Apparently they weren't, according to the news articles. No, what I read was, um, uh, what I heard was that it's been, it's been going on for the better part of the year. They've been looking at uh, acquiring them, and they had like long talks, and who knows how it is. I mean, the few contacts I have with either company, I never learned anything specific from any of them. I mean, then the one uh, person, the, the PR person at uh, Asmodee, I, I shot her an email today and asked her about it, and and she was even kind of in the dark about it as well, you know, and she was like pretty excited about it and the direction they're going. So I can't really think of a negative for it at all, honestly. I think Asmodee is a, a pretty good publisher and, and well, Days of Wonder, you know, they're kind of known for their ticket to ride money and uh, Memoir 44. But man, it'll be interesting to see them branch out into uh, more varied uh, games other than that, like those niche uh, products that they seem to produce all the time. Yeah, and looking at the uh, news article that I found, one article I found today, they said they're actually going to keep them separate right now, where they're still going to be a Days of Wonder, a subsidiary. Um, I wonder if they're just going to keep doing the same thing they've been doing or expand upon what they got. Well, according to... Well, have you guys yeah, played ahead. Five Tribes? Have you guys played Five Tribes yet? Uh, no, I don't know if you know this, Lance, but Marty and I were unable to make it to Gen Con this year. <laughs> <and> <laughs> Well, have you read anything about it? Have you read anything? Yes, about it? I mean it's a, yes. it's actually it's actually like kind of a good thinky game. I mean, I mean, Days of Wonder they, they they're kind of more family oriented. I mean, obviously, like I said, they got they got Ticket to Ride money. I mean, they just they they got a license for money there, and it seems like they've always just been playing it safe, playing it safe. And I was actually really impressed that they actually went out and they got a game like Five Tribes and put it out there because it, it's it's actually a kind of a nice little brain churner. Which is something that really gets away from some of the, well, frankly, crud that they've, they've been putting out for, you know, that cargo noir and 
what was that mystery train game they had a few mystery years ago? Express. Mystery Express. Mystery Express, yes, that that was a horrible, horrible game, and and I mean, and it's just like. Yeah, but what you know, what do you really think about it? Well, no, I mean, I mean, Ticket to Ride is is a great game. Uh, you you can introduce anybody to that, and that's that game that everybody points to, and they say, oh, I never knew games like this existed. But you know, you should play that about three times to get people interested in stuff that's actually real and interesting. And I don't know, I. I and I remember 44 was neat and all, but as far as command and color games go, it's kind of on the low totem pole for me. I'd, I'd much rather uh, play CNC Ancients or stuff like that, you know. But, but it's got cool looking tanks. I'll give it that. So, if if you're going to go that route, well, Small World did pretty good for oh, too. Oh God, what a horrible game that is! <laughs> oh no, well, no, don't say that. I 100 percent agree. <laughs> I 100 percent agree, and I've said that on this show many times. Small World's one of my least favorite games, and one of the biggest <sighs> regrets I ever bought. But Tony likes it. Like so, it. well, the, the problem with Small World is getting the cardboard chits out of the trays. But apparently, they fixed that with a later printing. That was the only reason that I could never stand playing the game. The game's okay, you know. <sighs> oh, that's a glowing endorsement. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I got to admit, Marty, I mean, that was the first game we played at our game club here in Charlotte was Small World. That's true. Yes. So that's why it's still near and dear to the heart is, hey, it, it brought us together with all these great people that we're meeting online. Okay, is that enough? Are y'all lifting your feet yet on that garbage? So anyway, um, I did not know this, that the founders of Days of Wonder were actually from Silicon Valley. Did y'all know that? I did not know that. That's amazing. Things you can find on the Internet. Wow. Well, thank you, Mr. Know-It-All. Wow. Doing some research here in the back and corner. Uh, yes, I am. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's my, that's you're my showing job. a lot of effort prior to the podcast, you know, digging people up. <laughs> okay, let me, let, me, let, me, let me put it to you like this. It was in Forbes, and, and Marty sends me a note. We're talking about this tonight, and I'm like, huh, what? Oh, God, God, get prepared. Okay, so I found this one. I was like, get out of town. So that, I, I was. I, I'm completely amazed that, you know, you know, in the world of mergers, you don't hear that very often where game companies merge. I mean, at least how often does that happen? Well, frankly, it's not really surprising to me, honestly. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking over you, Lee. Go ahead. No, no, no. Continue. No, it wasn't. I mean, it's it, okay. It's surprising just because I always thought of Days of Wonder as being that little tiny, like, you know, niche family oriented uh oriented thing and, and asmity they seem to have that thing where they don't really have any of their own products ever it just seems like they have all these european companies that want to publish their games in america and so asmity just like you know kind of adopts them and then and then pays the money up front or whatever and gets like huracan and uh, repos and i'm gonna forget it like uh, Styrian Press and Yamaya and all those all those other smaller european companies and they just kind of take on like the, the the distribution and everything like that. So I look at it just like this is just another way for them to say, okay, now we're going to take on this other company and now we're going to produce their stuff as well. I mean, it, it feels like it. I mean, at least Days of Wonder like creates their own stuff. I mean, can you guys think of a game that Asmodee makes? I mean, just if that's an Asmodee game? Uh, that would be no. <laughs> now, speaking of the uh, the whole distribution thing, I did uh, read that uh, they said one thing this acquisition will do is says it's going to strengthen Asmodee's North American line. Uh, it says by adding, by adding the Days of Wonder, Ticket to Ride, and Small World. So uh, I, I know there's some questions on the internet. Dave was wondering, what does this mean? And the question came up about distribution models, and they're going to change how distribution is done, because I think they're distributed differently. Doesn't one of them uses Alliance, and it may be as uh, Days, of, Days Wonder of Wonder. Days it. of Wonder is exclusive to Alliance, yeah. 
Yeah, and but I don't think asthma day is. So I'm just curious how they're going to settle all that because I assume they'll eventually decide on one distribution model. Well, no, here's here's the problem. I, I mean, I don't want to talk over you guys. This is your thing, and I mean, if you let me talk, I'll I'll fill this hour. So I'm just trying to let everybody else say what they got to say. But um, th- the problem that like I always really get worried about is if like somebody says, okay, we're only going to distribute through Alliance or ACD or what have you, and I know that. Asthma Day, they they all go to anybody. They go through GTS, they go through you know ACD Alliance and smaller ones as well. And so the problem you have then is that you end up in a situation where unfortunately you you may have like that thing with like well and if it matters like Mayfair, you know they 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 can they, since they have a very strict distribution funnel if you will then they can put forth that that like price fixing thing that they have and you know and you know you can only sell it at this and i'm not saying that that's where route asmody is going to go but when you do centralize everything uh you do kind of run the risk of you know having that little bit of a monopoly going on now i don't think asmody is going to do anything like that i mean it they seem like a you know a pretty normal company but i mean it's 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 a concern, obviously. I mean, if Asmodee all of a sudden picked up, like we you know found out six months from now, they were buying up like Fantasy Flight, which would never happen. But then you know, would we start getting worried then? You know, if if like you know, okay, now we got one company who's got like just this eaten up like two or three of these other companies, and they have this big monolith. I mean, they never really, I don't know, they never really be able to take on Mattel or anything like that because you know that's just too huge. But you'd have to worry or just be a little bit concerned, I would guess. Well, yeah, I, I see your point there. And I know I, I was looking at some of the chatter on the uh, Board Game Geek forums about that, and people bring up those exact same points. But the the fact that in the industry there's constantly a wellspring of new publishers, people trying to break into the scene, I don't think you're ever going to walk into the vendor halls at Gen Con or Origins and see, you know, three companies, you know. I mean, it's just constant rotation, new people, coming out with new designs all the time so um you know it'll be a good thing i think um one thing to note is that it's my understanding that uh days of wonder games have been published in europe by asmodee for a long time right so this isn't um you know this isn't a a new relationship they've been connected together for a while in that regard um what i find really interesting is how you know the introduction of this uh you know, I, I assume with the with the merger comes probably some additional resources and capital for the uh, Days of Wonder folks. And one thing that they do better than just about anybody else is in-house digital stuff. Um, you know, the uh, Small World was the very first board game app on the iPad when the iPad launched. I think it was available like on day one. Um, and the Ticket to Ride app is uh you know a very polished experience um they had cross-platform stuff you could play ticket to ride on your ipad against people who were playing on a pc version long before anybody else had done anything like that so it'll be really interesting to see what they're able to do um that group because i know that i've read uh that they're going to be expanding um the the digital group there so that'll be exciting to see yeah, so Asmodee, I guess, will not have access to those guys to where they can take some of the games they're publishing and try to get digital. Well, I mean, that seems to be the thing nowadays, right? It seems like every time a decent game comes out, it's it was within a month or so you start hearing, hey, here's a digital app to go along with it. It's almost like a standard thing now. Which is unfortunate because... I agree. Oh, thank you. Thank you, a fellow Luddite. I, I, you know, 
I, I, you know, it's like I don't want to, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I'm really not excited about like games like you know XCOM and stuff coming out where if you're going to play them, you need to have the app running as well. Oh, great, an excuse for one of my idiot friends to have his phone out at the com- at at the table when I when I should be like smacking it out of his hand and telling him it's his turn. So. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about. I'm going to have to disagree with you on something like that, though, because it's really it's 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 a baby step past games like Space Alert or Escape or you know any of these games that have recorded audio tracks and are trying to do real time. You know, you're just using a slightly more. But you can play those without you. You can play those without those recorded audio tracks. Actually, though. you you don't have to use. No, them. you do, and those and all those examples, I think you do have to use those. Isn't that the case? I mean, it's it's a space alert has the ability to admit you can create a deck, you can and then and then turn it over at real time to like to to experience it. So there, ha, take that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you really want to obfuscate the experience and make it much more tedious to do, then by golly, you can do it. Uh, that wasn't that good of a game anyway, so that's that's, that's okay. <laughs> now we'll say that the. Uh, the, the XCOM doesn't really bother me as much because it's integral to the board game. Now, obviously, this is going to open up doors if this is popular to where it's going to become even more expanded in other games. But I'm just talking about just a digital version of the game only itself. I'm, so many people really get into buying digital apps and, and playing those, and that's fine. And I've tried it, and I have so many board games up on my, my iPad, I never play. Because I just found that, you know, if I want to do this, I'd rather sit at the table and do it. And if I'm going to play a game on my iPad, I'd rather play some other video game besides a board game. But that's that's just me. But I know there's a big deal for that. And I know that part of this merger was Asmodeus. Hey, we got that development group that can now do stuff for us, too, as Lee mentioned. And, and you know what? If, if people like that and if people enjoy um, the app version of it and they want to experience the game further, then, you know, more power to them. It's just not something I'm even slightly interested in i i don't want to play a board game with somebody across the nation i want to, i want to sit across the table from them and have a social experience not uh stare at my ipad while i'm watching tv and and doing 17 other things either i i'm, I'm inundated with technology so much through my job and my life and my family whatever it like you know like you have, everybody carries this, carries this little tiny computer in their pocket that tells them you know when to eat and when their phone calls come in and everything else and and you know when i when i play a board game it's like one of those few times i can actually just shut myself off from that technology part of the world and i i, I appreciate that about it yeah but didn't you beat me in uh, star realms i don't play star realms online my friend so it wasn't <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> well you know one thing that there's no everybody there's, no Everybody else has been One beaten. Thing that Go ahead. Really hard data to suggest, and and since we're talking about Days of Wonder, I mean this is perfect. Um, you know the 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 availability of the Ticket to Ride app has absolutely driven sales of the physical board game. I mean there's there's no question about that. It's been at the top of the charts in large part due to the exposure that you know having a, a free app on you know the the iTunes Store or whatever else, and uh, people can grab that and play a game and say, oh, hey, that's a neat game. And then you've got advertising built into the software that says, hey, you know, the board game is available at your local gaming store. And uh, because people, you're right, people do want the social experience. Um, you know, the the digital doesn't doesn't replace that. So there's room for both. Yeah, no, I agree. And that, that's, a, that's a good point about uh, one driving the other. I guess the idea is like, here's this free app with the idea of trying to, to um, 
bring sales uh, to the actual physical board game itself. And speaking of physical board games, I, now I will say that one thing Days of Wonder does very well is they make very good quality components, and I hope that continues. Um, I, I hope that they don't lose any of that because I think somebody said before we started recording that uh, I can't remember what it was, who it was that said that um, the the president or CEO of Days of Wonder may actually step down after a year and like leave. Really? That, I mean, so, when, when you guys said that? Oh yeah, the uh, one of the news articles that I had looked at suggested that both the uh, the two founders, the co-founders of the company, um, would probably be departing after the end of the year. And then other ones have said there'll be advisories to the um, CEO of Asmodee. So who knows, you know, they may get in there and they may enjoy it and just keep that freedom and creative genius flowing. Who knows what they're going to do over there? As long as they keep putting out games, that's the important thing. It's not about them. It's about us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure that they'll be crying themselves to sleep in their beds full of money. So I'm not going to worry about the, the, the two former founders of, of Days of Wonder. And you know what? Kudos to them for, yeah. for really, honestly, you know, putting out games that people enjoyed you know, for a long, long time. And I mean, isn't that the American dream? Make something really amazing that somebody else will pay you a ton of money for so you can retire? Oh, de- definitely. I mean, hey, you know, I'm 100% capitalism, you know, g- good for them. I just, and I don't think, and like I said, uh, most people today were not, this is going to be bad for the gamers. Everybody's like, I'm cool with this. And there's not a lot of negative uh, response to this at all. Which it seems. I think it's interesting to point out was not the same reaction that you got when, you know, Mayfair and, and Lookout with, with that whole situation, you know, it's kind of in stark contrast to that. And uh, I wonder if a big part of that has to do with the price fixing and everything of of the expensive yes, games yes, like Agricola exactly. and not being able to get them for, you know, 40% off MSRP and your online outlets anymore. Well, the trick there is if if, if you honestly want uh, a game and you, and you don't want to pay the, the, the online pricing, um, you know, your local game store, you know, by and large, they're going to have sales and stuff like that. And there's really no way. I mean, my local game store, like the first Saturday of every month, it's 25% off everything in the store. Well, I mean, that's not 40%, but it's pretty dang close. And I'm sure most people's local game stores have the same kind of deal. And I, I really doubt... Uh, Mayfair is tracking down, you know, Bob's Dungeon in Colorado or something to make sure that he's uh, going along with their their price fixing schedule or whatever it is. So, which you know, it's cool because it drives more people to brick and mortar stores. And and if you have a good local game store, it deserves to be supported. So, oh yeah, and and I think I'm definitely going to point out to our local game store that your local game store is doing that 25 percent off because that's awesome. We, we have a buyer's club, and uh, if, as long as you're continuing to pay into it, you get points for your purchases. But we had to point that one out, that a small no, – small, yeah. In in, uh, in Fargo, North Dakota, Paradox Comics and Cards, uh, first Saturday of every month, open gaming in their event center from noon until they close at 2 o'clock in the morning. And during that entire day, everything in the store is 25% off. They just – they just they get people in there to sit down. They have like over fifty tables. Um, I go there and I, uh, I I help host it and I teach board games to people and newcomers. And they give away they give away ten dollar gift cards every hour. And yeah, the guys yeah he the guy knows how to drive people into his store. So yeah, it's hey, yeah, a great place. Yeah, Marty, there's there's our segue. Let's take that and run with it. Let's go to the next segment. You know. <laughs> Well, wait a minute. Think? Don't you want to talk about the other news that came out today about how Wizards has announced Magic will no longer use core sets? What? No. Okay. So no whoa, time. Whoa, okay. whoa, wait, wait, wait. They won't. They won't what? tie up those things on the girls to like make them skinny and. 
Corsets. Yeah, well, corsets get it. Kind of. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah okay. It was a good joke. Oh, I chuckled. Oh, I was like, oh, I yeah, get it. <laughs> yeah. Supposedly there was there was a big thing today about you know how um, Magic has their corset every year, then subsets after that, and they're changing that whole model, and people's freaking out all over the place about that. Not a Magic player, so it doesn't bother me. Yep. But hey, well, the thing that I noticed of interest. Some Magic player here. Uh, I used to, and I'm still kind of tied into the oh, scene. Okay. I've, I've got a lot of friends who play. I'm sorry. Um, but the article that was announcing that, they had some some interesting-looking uh, you know, animated graphics to show you know, how, the, how the cycle of uh, sets in and out currently works versus how it's going to be working uh, after the change is implemented. And uh, I, I think the biggest takeaway is that uh, basically in their standard environment, which is what, what most people play, um, things are going to cycle out after 18 months now as opposed to 24 months. So, you know, people are questioning whether or not they're going to, you know, get as much value out of their investment in the game. And you'll probably, you know, people are speculating whether or not you'll see any dip in sales or attendees at the Friday night magic events, just in the short term as a very reactionary thing to, Oh my goodness, I don't like this, but it's, it's really hard to say. I mean, obviously they wouldn't implement the change if they didn't think it was going to be beneficial to the long-term health of the game. So, LCG format for the win. Here, here. Seconded, Spe- especially after dice. Mm, don't. Oh, did you? Oh no, let's not go back to dice, Mister. Let's just keep moving along to our next segment, Marty. What do you say? Now that you dropped that little, I didn't know that about. Me. That's interesting. Oh, there's one of your awesome segues again. Lance did it, but you were. I mean, that, boy, that was a hard stop, dude. How, how, a, bam. We're gonna talk about teaching games, right? How yeah. to teach games. Thank you. We already had. No, it. I thought we was doing the Gen Con thing. Okay. Well, we can we, we can do either. I don't care. Oh my god! No, according to the podcast notes, it says I've lost control of this show. We never had it, um, but we've according to the podcast notes, I will turn this show around and go back home. We've got <laughs> how to teach games. All right. Well, I mean, I can, I can, I can definitely give you my like my my top three things that I whenever I teach a game to anybody. If and then you guys can argue however you want, whether or not you think it's right or not. Uh, okay, well, Lance, hold I'll on, Tony. What, Tony wants it even a prettier segue. Watch this. Go ahead. Watch the watch the expert in action. Go, Tony. Anyway, so here's the whole thing, though, Lance. I've often said I cannot do it. I've tried. I have tried to teach games time and time again. Lee is our expert on that in the area. There's no doubt about it. I cannot do it. So. Teach me how to teach a game. I it's it's unreal. I pulled down all the how to how to watch all that good stuff, and I oh, there's a cute one right there. Hey, so anyway, <laughs> my my daughter my daughter popped in. She just she saw I was talking, so just say hi quick, Rowan. Okay. Hi. Hey. Hi. Right, didn't you go <laughs> right, to school no, go today? Back to bed. No, no, she doesn't start school until next week. Actually, as, as, I love you, princess. Go to bed. Uh, I love you too. Oh, fifty man, inches of me. snow, y'all get. Y'all should have started back in July. Yeah, we always we always start late, in Minnesota. Okay, so um, I I always inevitably end up being the teacher of games because obviously I you know get games for review and everything like that, and then I drag my friends over to play them, and so I've read the rules prior. And plus, after I played a few games, you know, it's like I teach them as best as I can. The big thing is, is that only one teacher to a table. I'm a firm believer in this. Um, Make sure you get everybody's attention to say, okay, I'm going to explain the rules and like, and, and, know the rules to, and don't be afraid to have the rulebook out but one teacher to the table if there's somebody else who knows the rules and they start interrupting and they start like skipping ahead usually you have a, a a pretty good idea of the flow of the game and how you want to present it and and i appreciate other people wanting to share their knowledge and i know they're excited to play the game and they want to help out but 
um, you have to be polite and just say, hey, you know, just let me let me get through this. And then if I miss something after I'm done, by all means, um, chime in and say what you're going to say. I mean, uh, so that's like the big thing for me. And because it's not because like I think that they're stepping on my toes or anything like that, but it's been my experience because I, I also do a lot of presentations with my work. Um, when you're when you have a focus of attention that is 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 divided. Um, you start getting people like losing track of what's being said, and then that's when you run into those horrible problems as you're playing through the game. They go, well, I didn't know that rule, and then like, you have a negative experience because people didn't know what was going on. Um, my second big thing is uh, put your cell phone away. <laughs> if I'm going to be teaching something, um, like I, I don't know how many times it's like people have their phones out, they're, they're clicking through it, and then they're like, and then inevitably they'll say something, I wasn't paying attention to that. So what do I do in this phase? It's just like, no, just... You know, put your phone away, put it down, put it in your pocket, whatever. If it rings, fine, answer it, whatever. Um, I mean, this is like 10 minutes out of your life. Just please just give me that attention. And that's like a big deal to me. And and the last thing is is that don't be afraid to let them interrupt you. It's really easy to like sit there and like be talking and saying, okay, now this is the action phase and this is where we're going to select where our workers go and we're going to be collecting resources. And inevitably somebody's going to say, you know, what are the resources used for? answer those questions because then at least you're you're engaging the people that you're talking to and they're actually like uh you know you, you you're giving them value um you're you're giving them interest in what you're saying and uh it, it works and, and that's been my experience as far as that goes those are my three biggest things all right so lee we had you on for a reason what's your background in teaching games so we can kind of get from your perspective and then what you've had to deal with over the past few years and then give us your tips also you know, for the uh, for the past three years, I've been running uh, demos and events for board games for AEG at uh, Gen Con and other conventions. Uh, so I definitely have a lot of experience uh, teaching games. You know, occasionally there are going to be experienced players playing, but for the most part, it's people to who are new to a given game. So uh, demo a lot of games. Um, also, inevitably, uh, like Lance mentioned, I fin- fall into the uh, situation of, hey, we get games early, so. Whoever bought the game, let's teach the game to people so we can play. You know, uh, our gaming group locally definitely has a little bit of the cult of the news, so we're constantly getting new stuff in, right, and uh, and trying it out. So I teach a lot of games, and I have uh, for for years. I mean, I've been playing board games for probably a decade and teaching that entire time. Um, so all the things that have already been said, I think, are are really good things to keep in mind. What I will point out from from the perspective of someone who has, you know, run a lot of events to, to teach games to people is that it's actually a much different experience if you're teaching the game that you are planning on also participating in. So in a lot of ways, teaching a game is a lot easier if you can teach the game without actually being an active player. Because what happens is uh, people's tolerance for allowing you to interject in the middle of the game and point something out um, is a lot less if you're an active participant in the game. You know, um, you don't want to gloss over a rule that might be important for somebody's strategizing, um, only to break in halfway and say, "Oh, hey, I forgot to mention this." You know, this thing applies in this situation <laughs> because then people feel like you're trying to pull one over on them if you're an active player in the game that's being learned. Whereas you can completely do that as a neutral party if you're teaching a game that other players are participating in but you're not um so that becomes really important because the more you're able to kind of teach as you go during the course of a game the less you have to front load rules 
Um, and front loading rules is one of those things that, you know, there's always going to be the necessity to do a little bit of that. Um, but the shorter you can make that experience, the quicker you're going to be able to get into playing the game. Um, the more you're going to be able to keep the attention of people who are, who are sitting down. So, you know, if you've got someone who's, who's on the fence about whether or not they think this title looks interesting and you go into a, you know, a 15 or 20 minute, uh, elaboration of all the rules, you're going to lose them and they're not going to be an engaged player at that point, which is going to make it less fun for everybody else who's sitting at the table. Uh, whereas if you can dive right into things as much as possible and, and, and teach people as they go, um, that, that tends to make it a, a bit of a better experience for everybody. But that's a lot harder to do if you're actually also playing the game at the same time. So, But, so Lee, are you saying when you – and I want to make sure I understand this because this is very important to me. And, Lance, please jump in. So go a few extra – you know, do some rounds as you're teaching and this – you know, not be an active participant. That's, that's an interesting concept because – you're right. Every time I've tried to teach a game or do something, I'm always – the, an active participant, and I don't remember all the rules, and that's my own fault. I know you need to know the game better if you're trying to teach it, but sometimes you know you just forget these things. Sure. So I think if if I can just mention this, I think if you are going to be taking an active role in the game, it's important to kind of also um, explain some basic strategies as well. I mean, like uh, I mean, a game that I'm just thinking of offhand, Russian Railroads, for example. Um, if you've played it, you know what I'm talking about. Basically, hold Russian on, Railroads, Lance, like hold on, Marty. Strategies. Marty, pay very close attention here, okay? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> like, in Russian Railroads, there's, like, um, an excellent game. Excellent game. But there's basically, like, three three viable strategies. You know, the three different routes and how you can use them in, in, in conjunction. You know, your factory route, the, the top rail route, and so on and so forth. And if you can kind of explain those to people, it's like, look, if you if you if you go this route and you really work hard on this, you can get to this end point where you're going to score lots of bonus points towards the end of the game. If you really focus on factories, you can use these things. So you if you exp- so then when you jump in, you're not like, um, I'm not saying you should you should play suboptimally. You should play the best game you possibly can, but you should also try not to like wipe the floor with them too. I mean, that's just if because obviously if you played a game a dozen times, you're going to have that that niche on them. But I mean, you know, explain some basic strategy. Explain like this is hey, these are the, these bonus points in the end of the game. This is something really powerful that you start right away at the beginning and you work towards towards the end. This is something you should concentrate on. And if you tell that to them, then then you're going to kind of dissuade them from that idea of that you're not just playing the game to rub their nose in it and then and then you know it's like because that's that you, you, you yeah it, it, that, that's not a good uh, gaming experience for the people that are just learning it as, as my good friend andrew uh pastor andrew says when he games he goes everything's a learning game the first time we play unless i win <laughs> there you go well that's easy for me because i never win when i teach a game so i don't have to worry about that and I've been uh, so Lee brought up the thing about making sure that you try to get all the rules. Uh, the bad thing about being a player and forgetting the rules is I've been accused many times by my wife of like getting to the end of the game and I go, "Oh, by the way, you also get victory points for," and then I happen to get victory points for that. So then I'm accused of cheating. So I totally understand <laughs> that one too. So and, and this you know, past I mean, weekend. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Lee. Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, um, just like teaching anything else, you know, I mean, people have different learning styles, right? So it really behooves you, if possible, it's not always possible, but if you're familiar with the people you're teaching the game to, it's going to help a lot. You know, some people are going to want a little bit more active guidance on the strategies. What, what, uh, things should they be looking for, um, in order to do well in the game? Other people, uh, you know, 
maybe more experienced gamers, not as not as a you know a hard and fast rule, but uh, you you teach them the basic mechanics, and they're going to enjoy feeling the game out and exploring the boundaries of the game by themselves, you know, without ha- having their hands held as much. Um, so if you're familiar with the people you're playing with, you can kind of get a grasp on how much breaking the game down you need to do in order for everyone to feel like you know they're at least somewhat on an even level so i mean for instance this weekend i was teaching among the stars awesome stronghold way to go appreciate you bringing it to america so hopefully you know with this days of wonder as as madi merger we'll get more european games over but anyway i diverge or I, what's the thing I'm doing? Diverge. It's not diverging. Digress. Digress. Yes, Digress. Yes, that's, that's what he was looking but for. I'm diverging also. Wow. Off to another <laughs> that's that's just embarrassing. But, you know, I, and I know my, my audience. I know what I need to do. And, I, you know, and then what? how do you deal with someone who says, you didn't tell me that. You didn't t- tell us that. I mean, you know, it's uh, they, they feel like they've got a negative experience. That's always fun to deal with. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to deal with, but I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, my gaming group accuses me of it all the time, you know, because, oh, of course you didn't mention that rule, you know, the one that lets you win, you know. But, um, you know, I, I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's something where, I mean, and, and Lee, I mean, my, my, my kudos go out to you for actually like volunteering to teach complete strangers games. I, I mean, I do that, like I said, uh, the first week of every, every month, but I mean, at least those people at the gaming, gaming store that I go to, I mean, I know most of them by at least sight. And, you know, and so it's just like, it's one of those things where it's fun to talk to, but I do think that, um, you have to just, you know, it's like, oh, well, you I mean, you're human. I mean, if people are going to be like, oh, I didn't like that. I mean, just, I don't know what you can do. I mean, all you can, all you can do is to apologize and, and say, well, if it's a quick game, you can say, let's try it again, you know, and like, let's, let's, let's start it up again and, 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 and give it another shot. Or, you know, suggest, you know, if they, you know, just like, if they try it again, then make sure they, they're cognizant of that rule and, and move forward. You know, it, along those lines, uh, if if there's a rule that gets forgotten that changes the scoring at the end of the game, you know, you can make sure to give some personalized feedback and say, well, you know, if if we scored the game without this thing, which I did forget to tell you about, then you were actually doing very well compared to all the other players. So you shouldn't feel bad about, you know, not taking advantage of a scoring opportunity that you weren't aware of. Um, you know, that kind of reinforces the fact that, you know, hey, they did good. They achieved the objectives that they were trying to achieve. So, um, you know, they don't have to feel like they, they failed or they missed out on something that they had no way of, of, of knowing that they missed. Nice spin. I there like you that. go. Good point. Good point. Yeah. So, Lee, I'm curious. When you do this at Gen Con with, with AEG, do they give you a script? I mean, how much prep goes into you going out on the floor and I, you know, I saw you at Gen Con last year, and it's just like, I mean, they're working you there, man. How much? What do they give you? What do they prepare you for? So, so it really varies. I mean, from game to game. I mean, some games are a lot simpler. Some games are a lot more complex. Um, if you are demoing games out at the uh, on the on the show floor, out in the booth, um, typically those are a bit more scripted, especially if it's a longer game. Um, you're going to get run through, you know, maybe a staged uh, a portion of the game, you know, several turns, um, something that might take 20 to 30 minutes, um, not as much of a complete game. So for obvious reasons, um, those those do tend to be a lot more scripted. Um, you're going to have a starting setup that you can reset every time you get new players to the table, um, and you're going to walk people through, you know, a few example game turns. Um for the past couple of years, I've been doing uh, full events in the event hall um, that are actually ticketed events. Uh, this is for Gen Con anyway. And that's a bit of a different experience because 
you're teaching the game, but then players are playing on their own the full games, right? So um, I do try to stick to a script, but for the most part, those are actually things that uh, that I put together for myself and maybe share with some of the other folks who are who are working. Um, but uh, because consistency is is good from the perspective of you know if you've got if you've got a checklist, whether it's a mental checklist or actually you know something that you know is hard copy that you're going off of um, that maintains a consistency you know over a four-day convention event one of the last things that you would want to do as someone who's teaching games is uh you know find out that well you taught somebody the game wrong they went and bought the game and then they took it home and they taught it to their friends the way that you taught them and then they're playing the game wrong and then you see them post on some forum on the internet a month later saying hey i got this wrong and it's all this guy's fault right so (laughs) some preparation in that regard (laughs) is uh is is very good just to make sure that you know you're you're being fair to the people that uh have, have basically paid money to learn the game from you and having a false name <laughs> i uh i assume an identity whenever i work absolutely yeah yes but uh but no so so you know preparation is is good but you you have to be familiar with the game that's that's the single biggest thing you know um just understanding how the game flows um, some of the most basic questions that are going to come up. I mean, anybody who's taught a, a, a particular game several times is going to recognize that you can predict the questions that people are going to ask. You know, you know what the ambiguities are in the rules or the strange fringe situations that are going to come up based on you know the the gameplay. Um, so once you once you play a game several times, you you know the the pain points there, and you're going to be able to either address those. Uh, during your explanation or answer them you know very quickly when when people discover those points for their own so i don't know i find the best way to maybe teach a game is just to open the rule book and start reading on page one <laughs> yeah that, that's it that's what you and you're right lee you can anticipate like why do you get indigo and i get corn oh come oh really really that's what you're harping oh come on okay you're going back to I'm your sorry, wife's story it, aren't it you burns. With experienced gamers, honestly, with experienced gamers, you can do that. I mean, because of the fact that, like, they're and if it's and if it's your personal group, because you kind of like you'll you'll get the game, you'll 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 the mechanics. Oh, it's a worker placement game, and this affects that, and this pulley affects that lever, and then you'll kind of catch it the first round, and then you'll kind of get the flow. But if you're going in cold, I mean, with with uh, with a group like like Lee does, I mean, it's just like that's an entirely different animal. Okay, so something Lance just mentioned is a really interesting segue, which is teaching uh, based on gamers' other previous experiences. Um, So it's a really easy thing to do. For instance, let's say you're trying to teach a deck-building game to ask all the people sitting there at the table, hey, so who's played Ascension or who's played Dominion or who's played Thunderstone or, you know, other X deck-building game? And then just saying, oh, great, people played it, let's go. Okay, okay. it's important if someone doesn't have that basis for experience to not make them feel like they're somehow missing out on something by not having that, you know? But they are. Well, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> usually what I point out is, you know, so let's say I'm teaching a deck building game. I'll ask, so has everybody here played deck builders? And if everybody says yes, that's fine. If somebody says no, my response to that is typically, it's not a problem at all. It would just prevent me from having to talk about two minutes um, about some basic little things. You know, like, hey, when your deck of cards runs out, you shuffle them back out of your discard pile and you make a new deck. So if you had already played one of these games before, 
I would save, you know, two minutes of talking, but you're not really going to miss out on much because then people, if you, if you don't give them that reassurance, they're going to feel like they're, you know, they're uh, more uh, behind the curve than, than really they are. So what you're saying is you shouldn't, the correct response isn't, what are you born underneath a rock or something? <laughs> well, you know, if you're going for the comedy element, that'll work. <laughs> are you, you don't say get up, get away from my table. Yeah. It's like you, you go sit over there. You can watch. You, can, you can't play this game unless you have at least two years of deck builder experience, right? There you go. <laughs> well, I got to ask this before I forget the question because I do have short-term memory th- problem here. Um, what are the two hardest games y'all have ever had to teach? Ooh. Mm, uh, dominant species, um, just because of the how everything connects and everything. Um, you know, the whole dominance process and and figuring out majority and how each action affects each one and how each resource and each land tile affects each land. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a big bear of a game and you usually spend a good, a good half hour or so just teaching. I I spend, when I, when I bust it out, I spend a good 10 minutes just revisiting everything, you know, just making sure I know everything. And then, oh man, I mean, Twilight Imperium comes to mind. That's, that's kind of a bear. Um, I mean, there's games out there that are just obtuse, that are just, I mean, like, high frontier. I mean, that's just, but that's, I mean, you just, that, that's masochism if you're going to try to teach that to somebody. Um, but no, I mean, I, you know, the toughest thing is, is like, um, like the f- very first time ever you, you get somebody, like, you know, teaching my father a worker placement game was just kind of, uh, it, that was like pulling teeth for me, trying to get him to the basic process. So it's like, no, you put this here and you collect this, Dad, and then you put it over here, and then eventually it's going to turn into points for you. And then he, you know, just then eventually he got it and he understood what was going on. But um, I mean, the, just any any big game that has those big tough rules. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, like a more of a Meritrashy game. Well, like Arkham Horror is like really tough. You know, getting teaching everybody the flow of it and how each you know. Yeah, just ton of like, you know, okay, no, no, pick up that card. No, not that card, that card over there. You know, it's like, no, no, go through that deck. Okay, now, now, take one of these 7,000 pieces of cardboard and put it over there. And, you know, and so it's, but, you know, it's, yeah, I'd say those are like my three I pick. You told me to pick two, I pick three. So there you go. So I think the, what I would approach it is, uh, you know, teaching mechanics and, and, and rules, you know, uh, more complicated games, that can be tough. Probably where I have the most trouble is if you're playing games where, you know, the goals and concepts are, are more foreign to folks. Um, so believe it or not, and this is, you know, not, not across the board, but it's really difficult sometimes with certain people to teach um, uh, deduction games or social games like the resistance. Um, some people will get that right away, and some people will just not understand what the goals are and, and how their participation um, can affect the game and the discourse of the game. So you really have to, you know, make them just truddle through it and observe and, and see how they can have an impact on the game um, in order for them to, you know, kind of grok it. Um, so it's one of those things where you, you, you can tell them how it works and they go, well, why are we doing any of this again? Yeah, buying into the theme, that, that, that's tough to get them to do, yeah. Because a game like Resistance, you need people to buy into the theme of it. You need people to buy into what's going on. Same with any of those, like, yeah, Ultimate Werewolf and things like that. Yeah, yeah so you the, the game functionally breaks down if everybody just sits there quiet 
and 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 does their voting without any sort of banter or discussion back and forth. So, yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned Lance about uh, teaching your dad a game. I think one of the more frustrating experiences I had was. Um, uh, when you teach a complicated game to other gamers, like Lee, like you said, sometimes you can relate it to something else. If you've played this, then you'll understand this mechanic. But if you're teaching to a non-gamer who doesn't understand any of that, I remember trying to pe- teach my parents Ticket to Ride. Oh my gosh, I could not get my mom to understand the color of her trains had nothing to do with anything except to designate that was just her trains. She kept <laughs> wanting to put her color of trains on a certain track and... It, it was just I was just pulling my hair out. It's like, and, it, and I guess when you step back, it's like for somebody who's never been exposed to these types of games, something so simple we take for granted, it's hard to teach. The uh, the one other thing that comes to mind for me that I'll mention is, and this one I think is really interesting because the reason this game is this way is a, an intentional design point that is kind of in service to the game, but at the same time it can make it a lot harder to teach. Um, so a game like Race for the Galaxy. Um, has basically no verbiage at all on any of the card components, right? It's, it's designed in such a way that it's got this very elegant, beautifully designed iconography that if you understand the iconography, you can intuit what any card is supposed to do at a glance, right? But getting people to understand what all of that means before they've played it a few times is really, really tough. And it's not just the sort of thing that you can... You know, you don't want to have to sit there and explain every single card and what this symbol means and what that symbol means. Um, but you kind of have to because the way the cards are designed, they're, they're not using any, uh, any helper text to explain what the effects do for the most part. Um, so that's one of those things where the, it's, it's kind of done in service of the game because once you're familiar with all of that, um, then you can, you can understand complex effects much, much easier. And obviously they don't have to, uh, do a whole lot of translation for the cards for you know printings for various languages um, but it, it does make that a bit harder to teach I think so something you, you just made me think of actually both of you um, is is also uh, uh, knowing your audience as well um, like my father I hate abstract games just absolutely detest them I, I just can't get into them I can't get into moving little little balls around a spot and trying to establish whatever but my father loves them just because he just can concentrate on the, the mechanism and, and, and what he has to do to, to win. And um, I'm always reminded of when I was very young and I was trying to get my dad to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, you know, in fifth grade or sixth grade and I was at his, I was hanging out with him. And, and I remember like I had him go into a first room and he killed some goblins and he got a sack of gold and he said, okay, well, we head back to town and spend it. And I was like, well, no, you have to keep going in the dungeon. No, I got money. I'm alive now. We're just going to leave because that's because he, he said that that's what that's what a sensible person would do. He's like, we walked in here, we had we almost died, but I got a sack with 500 gold in it, so I'm heading back to town. And look at this look at look at this price list. I can live off this for years. You know, he's like, you know, it's like you, it costs a silver piece for a meal, and there's a hundred of those for gold piece. You know, it's like we're kings, and like so he like had this weird disconnect from like the actual like world that he was in in the game, but. So, like, if I'm trying to convince him that, like, okay, you're a farmer, and this, you know, and this is like, you know, an agricola, and I'm trying to explain it to him, and he's just, it just doesn't connect. But if I put an abstract game in front of him, um, he just dives into it and he loves it. I mean, because he doesn't have to buy into a story, like he says. He was like, I don't have to have a story to play. He goes, I can just play the game. And um, so, knowing your audience and knowing what they like as well. I mean, you know, that's a that's a real real good key, you know, in my opinion. 
Yeah, that's actually a very good point. Um, I actually taught my dad the Duke, and it was one of the easiest things I ever got to teach him because it's just a simple abstract game. Maybe a little more, you know, along the lines of chess checkers. He just picked it up real easily, as opposed to something that has a lot of theme. And if you don't, if he doesn't understand the theme, then he won't understand the mechanics that make the theme work. And so I can totally get that. Uh, but then you go along with, along with that point, Lance, is I, my wife loves Pandemic. Absolutely loves it. So I, I'm sorry. I know, but she. <laughs> hey, you got to deal with what you got to do with, man. By the way, did you know it's on sale at Target? And I think it's like 75% off right now. So go ahead and take your shots there. Some people are reporting it. Well, so like I could I could buy it and like, you know, destroy a copy just because of, oh, just don't even get Burn it in effigy. It's so bad. It's so awful. Oh, yes. but, see, but see, there's your level. So now I'm like, okay, they love co-ops. They love co-ops. Marty knows where I'm going here. They can't stand Robinson. They hate that game. Well, Robinson, that's another tough game to teach. I mean, that's just that that getting somebody through the first scenario of Robinson is that's pulling teeth. I mean, you know, it, unless if, if they aren't in it, I mean, cause that's a, that's a pretty heavy game, and you know, and it didn't do itself any 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 uh, favors with the rule book either, honestly. Oh um, yeah, and I agree with you completely there. But I'm just like, okay, it's a co-op game. You're trying to win, but it's the fact that. Oh, but I found out what it is. It's the fact that they don't like having that constant doom feature coming at them of, you know, those those event cards are just always, you know, oh, look, you built your shelter and now there's a hurricane. Now you don't have a shelter. You mean I just spent five freaking turns trying to get this stupid shelter? And she hated that. But I'm with you. You've got to know your audience. Well, when you, when you talk about the theming, though, of, of those co-op games, I mean, uh, when it comes down to it, Pandemic's actually a pretty abstract game, you know? You can break that down into two very simple oh, elements. Is. There are cubes on the board. There are more cubes on the board. You want to get your cubes off the board. I mean, that is Pandemic. That is all the game is. Don't let there be too many cubes on the board. Um, there's no way you can break down Robinson Crusoe into that simple of, of a, a, you know, a set of rules because, for one, there's different scenarios that you can play, right? So, I mean, each time you set the game up, it's, it's, it's a different set of bad things that could happen to you or, you know, things that you're trying to do. Um, but I think the, the more, the more casual, uh, a, a gamer is, I think the, the more a theme kind of has to be resident or resonant for them in order for them to buy into it, you know? So, so like a real hardcore gamer, they'll, if something's really strongly themed, but it's not their cup of tea, uh, they might still give it a go because the mechanics seem interesting. Right. But, um, but someone who's not, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a big gamer, you know, a friend of a friend or something like that. If the theme is not terribly appealing to them, then yeah, you're gonna have a hard time getting them to buy in and give it a shot. Well, man, that's that's that was a lot of good tips. Um, I mean, I hope somebody was ta- I hope somebody's taking notes on that because that, that was really good. Somebody's a transcript. If only, was, if only somebody was recording this, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dang it! Did everybody hit record? Like you said, Marty, I got I'll do the show notes. This is gonna be yeah fun. So. <laughs> so are you are you going to try to try to segue into the next one for us? Yeah, watch this. Here we go. We're going to go to the next segment in three, two, one. Now, as most people know, Tony and I did not get to go to Gen Con, but however, our two guests did get to go to Gen Con, so we have to live vicariously through them. And I would love to ask you guys. Uh, let's start with. Uh, games maybe give us the the top two or three games that just wowed you the most 
at Gen Con. Which one of you is ready first? I can go. I, I, I can I can answer that question. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, Five Tribes, uh, that will be nominated for Spiel or, or Kenner Spiel. It might, it, it might, be, might be nominated for Kenner Spiel, honestly. Um, I, I could see it nominated for either one. And I, I'd be surprised if it didn't win. But I mean, but then again, there's a lot of time left. But um, it's an excellent uh, Mancala esque uh, game of, that, that can change each and every time you play just because of the placement of tiles and the placement of the meeples. And it's, it's got a really, uh, really good bidding for first player mechanic built into it, um, where you're basically you're offering up victory points to uh, theoretically. Uh, you know, be able to cash in and earn more. So, I mean, there's just these awesome little choices you make every single turn. Um, nice little puzzles. It has those great aha moments that make you feel smart when you figure out, oh, wait, I can do this. I just gained 17 points. Um, it's got a little bit too much point salad for me. I, 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 I miss... I miss games where I could score 27 points and win. It seems like more and more now you have to score 197 points and win, which... Uh, <laughs> or Russian Railroads where you need like four or 500 points to you win. You know, and the thing about, I don't, I don't, I don't want to digress to Russian Railroads too much, but I mean, this, the, the, the Russian Railroads is an excellent game, um, but it's it's solvable, and I don't like games that are solvable. Um, after you get about 10 games of Russian Railroads in, you pretty much know everything that the game can tell you. Um, I don't see that happening as quickly, if at all, uh, with a game like Five Tribes, just because of the fact that it's so random how the setup works, so it's going to give you a new puzzle each and every time that you uh, that you start up with, just because of the placement of all the different city tiles and where the meeples go. If you're unfamiliar with the game, and I don't want to waste a lot of time because I know you guys are you know running running low, but um, basically you, you set up a, a, a 30 tiles in a 6x5 board, and each of those tiles have a power, and each of those tiles have, has a point total, and you, then each tile gets three random colored meeples that you place on each one of the tiles. And then each person takes a turn. They collect the meeples from one tile and they move they, by dropping a, dropping a meeple in each one. And then you end up on another tile where you have to drop a meeple that is actually of the same color that's still on that tile. And then when you do that, you then collect all the meeples of that color. If you collect all the meeples of that color off the tile, you get to claim it for points at the end of the game. And then you get to enact a power that that meeple gives you, and then you also get to enact the power that the tile gives you, whether or not you claimed it. And then there's a bunch of genie genie cards that you can purchase that have different powers. There's all these resource cards that you can turn in for money, and there's all these different working parts. And it's it's brilliant. I mean, it has it has some um, Trajan to it. It has some Istanbul to it. And, you know, you you get that feel when you play it, but it's it's very very well done. Um, the game that surprised the hell out of me was Shinobi Clans um, from, God, I'm going to forget the name of the, uh, the I, 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 Jurgen, the designer, tracked me down. I was just standing around, and he this, this guy with his crazy hair came up to me, and he was like, you are the undead Viking, yes? And I was like, uh, yeah, what's going on, buddy? And um, he dragged me back to his, and he showed me, uh, and that is, I, I thought deck builders were just, like, so two years ago. I was over them. But Shinobi Clans is an excellent, fast-playing, serpentine drafting, uh, where you basically you aren't building a deck with your hand, you're building a deck on assassin targets and trying to outwit everybody, and whether you're trying to defend them or kill them. And that's a brilliant game. I'm actually working on the review. I should have that posted pretty soon. And then um, 
probably the third best game uh, that I that I that I gave a shot to and that I played um, is uh, Panamax, just because it's so. It's yet another. It's made by the same people that made Madeira, which was one of the best, like, big, thinky, tough Euros that came out last year. That apparently people are scared of now. They're just scared of games that are just a bear uh, of a puzzle and and uh, a mind screw, if you will. And Panamax just follows along with that. And I love big, giant, thinky Euros that. Um, everybody takes a good five minutes to figure out their turn each and every time. It's just I love I love investment games like that. And uh, so. oh, great! So I'm one of those that Madeira uh, ate up, chewed up, and spit out. And I've pre-ordered Panamax. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would say Panamax is a little less confusing than Madeira, but it's along the same same lines. And I mean, Madeira is an amazing game. I mean, just think of think of the amount of time that that person put into the, that Nuno put into that game. Oh yeah, and and just and I mean, and he did it again with Panamax. So there you go. Those are my three. Cool, Lee. This is three games out of you know not all that many that I actually got to uh, to play on my own time, but uh, definitely some good stuff that I saw. Um, the first one, and Marty, you and I have already talked about this some, but uh, Tragedy Looper. Uh, which is a Japanese game being published by Z-Man uh, here in the States. And really, the less I say about it, the better, honestly. Um, it's a brain-burning deduction game uh, that's got cooperative elements to it, but it's also one versus many, because you have one person who is uh, playing against everyone else. It's just a really unique experience. So um, definitely got a big kick out of that one. That was an instant purchase for me. Um, Subdivision uh, by the guys who did uh, Suburbia. Um, so really similar theme, but the gameplay is, is not at all similar to Suburbia. Um, it's a tile drafting and placement game um, where you have different uh, styles of uh, basically zoning uh, tiles. You know, you've got your luxury area, your, uh, your parks, your industrial, your roads. Um, all these different types of tiles, and you're constructing a layout on this uh, on this plot of land, and uh, really trying to get a diverse um, layout. Um, so I enjoyed that one a good bit. Uh, the last game that really uh, struck me, and I didn't like it the first time or two I played it. So this is why I think this is interesting. It's a little game called Red um, from Asmadi Games, not, not Asmadi, which we talked about earlier. Um, but that is a game with a 49 card deck of cards, um, numbered one through seven in seven colors. So the colors of the rainbow. And it's, uh, the best way I know how to describe that one is it's kind of flux-like, um, but much more strategic and much less random. So if you've ever played Flux, you know that the victory condition of the game changes as you play the game, and the players are actually dictating how to win. Um, so in red, each uh, each color has a different uh, rule or a different victory condition associated with that. Um, you always start out with the color red, being that the highest card is the winner. So on your turn, um, you have a hand of cards, um, and you can either play a card in front of you uh, into your tableau area, or you can discard a card into the discard pile, or you can do both. So you have three options. But the caveat is that after you do that, whatever you're going to do, you have to be winning the game. And if you are incapable of winning the game after doing, you know, playing a card into your area, discarding a card, or both, 
then you're out and you lose. Um, and so each color has a different rule. It might be things like, you know, who has the most copies of one number, uh, who has the most even cards in front of them, uh, who has the largest straight. Um, so you, you're able to dictate what the rule that's going to end the game is going to be, but you actually have to look at the cards available in your hand and think out two or three turns and figure out, okay, how am I not going to be able to pin myself into the corner so that I can play a card and, and still be in the lead? Because if you go one turn without being able to be in the lead, then you're out. Um, so that was a that was a really neat little game that uh, that sold out real quick. It took me a couple times to get it. So it's like I said, the first two times I played it, I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. And then we played it five or six more times because it's a very quick playing game, and it grew on me each time. So let me ask you, um, what um, <laughs> since you since go? you ran the uh, What's wrong with you? It's so sad, man. I mean, they talking about all this great stuff, and I, yeah, yeah. But I mean, guess what? Gen Con's over, and we're going to the next one. So who cares? Oh, that's right. We are, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to next year's Gen Con. So only three hundred and fifty something days to go, right? <laughs> hey, it's earlier next year too. It's a- oh, true. Yeah, it's probably three hundred forty something days. Oh man, Indianapolis at the end of July. Holy cow! It's ooh, that's gonna be warm. So, Lee, what was the big game at AEG? Uh, Doomtown. Doomtown, Doomtown, Doomtown. By far? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know... Are you tired of talking about that? Well, if no, I can talk about Doomtown for a couple minutes if you want me to talk about Doomtown. Um, It's a a great game. So, if you don't know anything about Doomtown, um, it is uh, a Deadlands setting. So, the Weird West, um, the the pretty well-known RPG setting. Um, there was a CCG back in the 90s, uh, kind of the golden age of CCGs, right, called uh, Deadlands Doomtown. Um, and really unique in a couple ways, uh, the main one of which is that uh, basically all of your combat is resolved by playing poker. So all the cards in your deck have a, a poker suit and value, and you draw uh, a poker hand when you're shooting out. And uh, whoever has the better poker hand wins shootouts. Um, but beyond that, it's uh, it's very much an area control style game. So that's a lot different from a lot of other uh, uh, CCG style games that that people are used to playing. Um, it plays it plays a lot more like like a board game, honestly, because you've got actions that you're taking um, in in a not prescribed order. There's very much economy um, and assets that generate you economy. Um, there's you know, control elements that, that, that play a lot more like a board game than a card game. But then you've got the, uh, the elements of uh, the poker, which are really unique. So that was incredibly popular. Um, they had the, the premium copies that sold out instantly um, with the real poker chips and the nice big wooden box and everything like that. So um, definitely saw a lot of people uh, playing that all weekend. So if you can... Limit it to one or two experiences. What were your best experiences from Gen Con, Lance? Well, I mean, Gen Con, I always kind of, I do the same thing every year. Um, I get there and I'm super excited. Thursday kind of sucks because you're running like a crazy man trying to get the get the rare stuff, get the stuff that you really want. I mean, I got one of those super cool wooden cases or whatever for uh, a the Doomtown, which you know I'm happy I got. And But I mean, you're just kind of, and then Friday, you can actually kind of relax and start enjoying it and wander around and meet people that you haven't seen since the last time you're there and, and uh, actually sit down and play some games for once. Um, but by Saturday, I'm kind of over it, you know, and I want to go home. But um, Saturday night, I was feeling kind of homesick and I wanted to get out of there and I actually ran into 
uh, some of our you know reviewer alumni, if you will. I ran into uh, like I ran into uh, 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 talks from crit- you know now he's a corporate stooge, of course, with Arcane Wonders. <laughs> right. Uh, but no. Uh, but yeah, I ran I ran into talks. I ran. Into, I mean, I, I was there with Joel uh, Eddie Drive Through Review. I mean, we got a room together, but. Um, you know, I mean, I ran into I ran I ran into uh, Tiffany Ralph from the One Tar. Uh, I ran into Rihanna, and I ran into uh, Hunter Sheldon from Weapons Grade. Uh, you know, and just so we there was a bunch of us, and we we sat down and we played uh, one of the best games best game experience I've ever had. We we, we played a game of uh, Sheriff of Nottingham, which was extremely R rated, and. Uh, <laughs> And and yelling and screaming at each other, and it was it was it, it definitely like it, you know, for the briefest moments it, it it made me not miss my kids and my wife, and uh, I was happy for that. And then we that turned into a late night run to the Steak and Shake, which is where all roads lead to Steak and Shake at Gen Con. And you and then when we got there, uh, we ran into the Secret Cabal guys again. Jamie Keegy ran into Rodney from Watch It Played and. Uh, Keith, major malfunction. We ran into all these guys that were you know, we, that we hang out with anyway, and so it turned into a big giant table of us and uh, BS and having a good time. And somebody, of course, had cash and guns with them, so we busted that out and we played cash and guns late at night at Steak and Shake over uh, bacon cheeseburgers and, and milkshakes. And so that was probably like my signature moment um, of you know just having a blast and screaming at each other and you know pointing guns at each other while cops watched us and laughed so <laughs> yeah. lee so i mean the biggest thing for me is i i go to teach games i really enjoy teaching the games um and that's what i spend most of God my time you. at the shoe doing <laughs> honestly you know i uh typically i've got one or two hours a day um for myself uh before midnight and then uh but the, the part of the show for me typically goes from about midnight to 4 a.m., and that's where I, uh, you know, meet up with some of my pals and we, we play the games that we want to play, um, you know, while we can, uh, before we have to start teaching games again the next morning. Um, but I will say the, you know, the, one of the most gratifying things that's really cool that, uh, that I've actually been able to experience every single year, um, is to have someone who, uh, sits down for one of your events uh, to learn a game that they've, you know, they bought a ticket for it, but other than that, they've never even heard of the game before. Um, and then Sunday, uh, right at the end of the show, right as the uh, exhibit hall is closing, I happen to be over in our booth and uh, see the couple walking up that you taught the game to a couple days back um, saying, hey, this is the last place we were coming before everything shuts down because I just have to buy that game that you taught us. So that's pretty cool um it always and then you say oh they sold out you should have been here oh you know i say well you know i happen to have a copy here for you it's only three hundred dollars but uh but no so that's 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 always something that uh makes it feel like uh it's it's a worthwhile trip for me um yeah definitely a lot of good late night gaming sessions though um, honestly, it's it's kind of all a blur. I did uh, I did run into both Tom Vassell and Will Wheaton in the span of about three minutes, which was hilarious. And but it was in a rush, and I was going somewhere on a mission, so uh, I didn't really get to interact. But it was just like back to back. Hey, look, there are board gaming celebrities here. Um, so I mean, it it was the biggest Gen Con ever, as you've probably seen, and it definitely felt that way too. I mean, they were just. So many people. The uh, the show floor, the exhibit area was expanded by a pretty uh, decent margin. Um, so a lot more room for vendors, uh, especially smaller vendors there. And uh, that, that's always a good thing because 
one of the highlights of that show is, you know, being able to walk the floor and see all of the new games, right? I mean, so many of these companies are, are you know, flying in 50 copies, 100 copies of their brand new games. The ink is still wet on the boxes so that they can get them to folks for Gen Con. Um, so being able to just walk the floor and see all of that stuff is always a lot of fun. Yeah, what, over 56,000 people this year? And they're only expecting it to keep growing, so... Is it getting too Gosh. big? Is is that? I mean, you can it ever be so? I mean, I don't know how many people go to Dragon Con, Marty, uh, but I mean, uh, last year it was over sixty thousand. Well, that's a completely different. I know it's game different. Too. I know I mean, it's different. Yeah. but it's still the same. It's it's people crammed into a facility, and you know, is is it getting too big? Is it going to crush under its own weight? I, I'd hope not, but you know, who, who knows. I don't think it. I don't think it's getting too big. The only, the only, the only time I think it might get too big is if, I mean, they run out of, uh, they run out of hotel space. Honestly, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, three years ago, uh, we logged in and got our room for Gen Con. You know, about an hour after they announced it. Uh, two years ago, we did it right away, and thank goodness we did. You know, because we got a decent room. Um, a year ago, uh, Joel and I, uh, like, we 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 got a room way early. I mean, before the and and paid non, uh, we we paid for non uh, uh, convention. Con, right? Yeah. Yeah, and um, and thank God we did because that the the website was down within five minutes of people trying slamming it, trying to get uh, hotel rooms. So, um, it's. I think I've heard that Gen Con, they're, they're going to be doing something different this year. They, 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 they're trying to listen to the complaints about that, how the, the housing situation is, is, well, you know, not up to the load that it is bearing, and they're, they're looking at uh, uh, changing it around. So, yeah, good stuff. Well, I remember back in uh, the first time uh, that I went was 2010, and uh, I remember we got the hotel. We got the room at the Marriott like two weeks after. You know, after registration, it's no problem. I, I think about a week later, they they sold out. But it's it's gotten just in. I believe the size of then. the show has pretty close, if not completely, doubled in the last four or five years. So it's been uh, ridiculous growth. But the one thing that you can take to the bank with regards to the show is that the city of Indianapolis loves Gen Con. They love all the gamers. They treat everyone incredibly well. Um, and they have a vested interest in keeping everybody as pleased and happy as possible because it does a lot for the city, and they definitely want us to come back year after year after year. So um, I think the contract goes out through, like, 2020 as of right now. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the show's just going to keep growing as long as they can keep supporting it. And, yeah, as, as Lance said, you know, the hotels, uh, the, the, the lodging is, is really the biggest gotcha there. I mean, the convention center, they've they've got plenty of space, so... Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, like those those giant airplane hangers, like Hall E. I mean, after eight o'clock, it's abandoned. I mean, that's like one of the biggest secrets of all time, and I'm kind of giving away. Um, if you have a game to play, uh, don't bother going and paying money to go to the board game library because that place is full and it's loud and it's noisy. Just head into Hall E, Hall D. There are tons of open. Sit tables. down, and somebody will ask you to play a game. Yeah, exactly. That's it's like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, nothing. Well, we need another guy. Come on over here and play this. You know, so it's uh, don't waste your money on the board game library. Okay. Well, I'm going, Marty. I'm going to do another smooth, smooth transition to another part here. Okay. So 
Lance, what are you working on? What can we expect coming out of you here in the future? I mean, I, I almost named this episode the Benny Hill theme because I think one of the funniest videos, and I think it was for, was it Nothing Personal? We had the Benny Hill theme going. I'm, I'm maybe getting something well, confused. Well, that, that was just me razzing on Tom a little bit. Uh, Tom and I, um, we exchange emails and we talk, and Tom and I have a, a mutual uh, uh, friendship, I, I'd like to believe. I, I genuinely enjoy Tom, and I think he's... <laughs> generally enjoy Tom. No, I genuinely enjoy him. I, mean, I, think, I, think that, I, I think a lot of people like think that we're... Um, that, that reviewers are, are uh, uh, um, what's what I'm looking for, like in competition with each other. And I yeah. Just, I, I just, I mean, no, I mean, and, I, and I'll, I'll fully admit that when I first started doing it, this thing, like five, six years ago, I kind of took a more confrontational view with other people that did the same thing that I did. And if anything, my just growing old and just whatever, I've just kind of said, you know what, whatever. And I just don't care. You know, um, I, I had reviewers say, Hey, you know, it's like, I won't do a review of this right away. If you don't do a review of that, I'm just like, dude, I don't care. You know what? I, I, you, you go ahead and pump out your reviews as quickly as, as you can. I mean, I, I just do my thing, man. Um, I try to, I mean, I'm kind of becoming known as, as the Kickstarter guy. I try to help people get their, their, their dreams made <laughs> reality. I mean, I, I, I try to, so I, I talk to a lot of um, people that have uh, games that are trying to get published, and I try to do a good Kickstarter video for them. I've got a mountain of Gen Con stuff that i got to get through. Um, so just you better appreciate this. I came and did this instead of working on my Shinobi Clans review. And we, and we, so. and we do. We really do appreciate it. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just taking it. I know, I know. But, no, but um, no, I mean, I, so i got a ton of stuff you know, that I, I want to do, I mean, just because... Um, you know, it's it's just cool that I still have this feeling of like I want to show what I do. I mean, it's just like I, I have all these ideas of things I want to do, but I I never have time. I mean, I'm I'm a dad and a, a husband first. I mean, the, my family is is and this you know I don't. Uh, I mean, I give Tom all the credit in the world for for actually taking. Uh, this little hobby that I do and turning it into like uh, a career. I mean, that's 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 awesome. I, I mean, that's super impressive to me. I mean, by the same respect, uh, Rodney, uh, watch it play. Same deal. You know, I mean, those two guys, I respect the hell out of. And um, you know, I mean, as far as what, just expect more reviews. I mean, I my goal was to do a hundred videos uh, in 2014. I think I'm going to well eclipse, uh, eclipse that. So that was that was my goal going into the year, and and uh, I'm still holding true to that. Um, theoretically, I might someday launch a website that I've been trying to work on, and, and and not just have a YouTube page, but you know it works. So I'm not really worried about that. I don't know. I just do my podcast with Joel whenever we get we find the time to do it, and and then uh, other than that, I just you know. Just try to beat a little stick on the mighty river and and, and and go go with the flow, man. Sorry if you're looking for a more in-depth answer to no, that. No, no, no. I was waiting on Marty there. I wasn't going to try to step on him as far. No, I thought you was going to say something. No, go ahead. No, I was not. I mean, it, no, that's great and appreciate it. I did enjoy the, um, the Kickstarters because I was telling my mother-in-law about one. Um, what is it, the... Trekking in the park. God, I can't even think of the name of it right now. That's yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. Trek, trek in the parks or whatever. It's, yeah, that's a great game. I mean, that, that, that's just a, it's beautiful. Um, it's a total passion project by the designer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, and it's like, and 
the amount of effort and, and, you know, sometimes I get a prototype and it's just like, you know, it's a bunch of pieces of paper that they've put with, you know, magic cards glued to, you know, and, and I mean, and I don't, I don't, I don't make fun of people for that because obviously, I mean, they have a passion, they have an idea and they're trying to make it, make it real. And, and I get that. And, um, and, but I mean, when somebody actually sends me something and then it just like, looks like, you know, it's like, wow, they just went all out and they're just have a nice nice uh, product already you know it's like it's 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 impressive and and, it, and it's just like i'm always and i'm not gonna like bury the lead here and start talking about kickstarter but i mean i hear a lot of people say oh there's too many games on kickstarter now and you know what put more of them on there i mean you know who cares you know it's just like if if 10 games get published that are average at best um, I, I'm, I'm more than willing to have 10, 100, whatever games get published that are, are great if that one really awesome game um, sees the light of day that normally wouldn't have because, you know, that's that's what I live for, that that game that kind of transcends. I mean, it's it's pretty... It's pretty it, I, I play games all the time that are good, and I play games all the time that are great, but, you know, I've probably played... We were, Joel and I were trying to figure out the other day how many games we've probably played, and I'm trying to I'm trying to guess, and it's got to be 700 or so different games. And of those 700 games, there's like that handful of games that are just like kind of transcended above everything else, and just like became that game that it's like wow, that was just amazing. I'd play that game any time in my life, and and it's just and I've found games like that, you know, just because like some dude had an idea and. It was, you know, and it rolled around in his head, and he made it become a reality, you know, through Kickstarter. And if it wasn't Kickstarter, then that would have never happened. And so that alone uh, kind of justifies it, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I was ta- telling her because she was telling me, why don't you come up with these game ideas and things like that? I said, I'm not that intuitive or ingenious or whatever word you want to use here. But I, but when I saw that, I was like, that's exactly what she's looking for because they travel the, the country in an RV. And they enjoy that the ticket to ride, and I'm like, they they would like to marry the two. I'm like, there it is, right there. It was it was really neat how they did that. That was kind of cool to me. Yeah, no, and then then if you, I think, yeah, they got that published. I mean, they mm-hmm. they they blasted their uh, their goal away. So that's awesome. That, that's gonna become a reality. Marty, over to you. So Lee, what you got going on right now? You getting ready to beat up some more people in Netrunner? So by the way, so Lee is our resident Netrunner champion. Uh, last year, he won the regionals, went up to um, Fantasy Flight headquarters for their their big tournament and stuff. So I don't know. We probably mentioned on the show before about this one jerk. I mean, guy who keeps winning all the Netrunner uh, tournaments here locally. So that's Lee. So I know you had a tournament this past weekend. How'd you do? Yeah, funny you should mention that. <laughs> yesterday with a bunch of uh bunch bunch of folks at a uh a store in gastonia which is about uh you know a half hour from here so not our usual crowd and uh they kind of mopped the floor with me no i must have just been on an off day i don't know what to say you're just not used to playing people that are that are decent <laughs> that's all hey you said it not me right yeah no i said it i said it i admit it we no, will but uh but yeah it was uh it was it was some some good folks i enjoyed the games but uh but yeah i mean honestly it's uh this is definitely the convention season for me. So over the next couple months, I'll uh, be heading out to a lot of different places. Some, some just for for fun and for personal reasons. Uh, others, I'll be doing some demos and events at. But uh, pretty much through, like uh, where? Well, next place I'll be heading to is uh, Atlanta for for Dragon Con. That's this weekend, Liberty Day weekend. We've got some local conventions in the area that'll be doing for uh, for gaming. Um, Mace is in Charlotte and. Uh, we've got that 
think I've got one in October as well. I'd have to pull up the calendar. Are you going to BGG Con? Possibly. It's still I haven't booked my uh, my airline ticket yet, but uh, but I do have somewhere to stay if I'm able to 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 be free that weekend. So neither have we. Uh, yeah, you need to book the ticket. Yeah, dude. Was, oh. And Lance, you said you can't make it this year, can you? To BGG. Yeah. No, I just time off of work and time off from family. Um, next year, uh, nearly a hundred percent, unless something weird happens. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like it, I, I, I uh, Aldi. I ended up uh, sitting down with Aldi at Board Game Geek at, at, the, at his uh, at his uh, uh, came booth at Gen Con, and um, he really. He really leaned on me. He was like he he uh, he, he he for whatever reason took a personal interest in me being there. So um, he made me promise him that I'd go. So uh, nice. so I did. So yeah. So I'm, next year uh, I'm gonna make sure I maybe don't go to some of the little smaller conventions that I spend my time at, and then uh, I'll just go to two big ones. I'll go to um, Gen Con and BGG. Nice. Well, before we get off, uh, why don't uh, you tell us where? So, Lance, where can people find you? Like, they probably already know, but if they're looking for you, looking for some good reviews, where can they find you? Just I have my YouTube channel, Undead Viking Videos uh, YouTube. If you just type in Undead Viking, you'll find me in Google. Um, I am not part of the Undead Viking Mafia, which is a very horrible uh, heavy metal uh, uh, <laughs> heavy metal garage band that has some videos out there. So that is not me. Um, not that I mind heavy, I don't mind heavy metal. I, I, I'm a, I'm a big metal head, um, as far as music goes, but, um, you know, and, and kudos to them. They're living their, their musical dreams. I don't, I don't ever like emailing them. Hey, this guy totally called you out. He said you were horrible. But, um, so, uh, I don't need some Pennsylvanian, uh, garage band hunting me down or anything like that. So, uh, but yeah, just, um, uh, and if you have a game you think I should review or you'd like me to review, uh, by all means, uh, Drop me a line at undeadvikingvideos at gmail.com, and uh, and maybe I'll answer your email. And Lee, you say you're going to be doing some conventions soon, so people can find you maybe at some local conventions, maybe at BGG Con, but definitely next year at Gen Con, you'll be looking for a guy that's running demos at the AEG booth. It may be Lee. Uh, you can also, uh, my handle on Twitter is ML Shelton, so if anybody wants to yell at me for any of the stupid things I said, that's how I they. Uh they can get in touch with me. <laughs> <laughs> or, or if you want to talk to him about any of your uh, Netrunner you know, tips, you can try to break in before I do because I'm constantly asking him questions. And he explains to me how things really work in Netrunner. But that's okay. He's got to now deal with um, you know, that other game that's going to take up all my money. Now, now he's got a, he's got a demo uh, Doomtown yeah. to me. In fact, he might could bring it tomorrow night and teach I me. I expect yeah. I'll probably end up teaching some Doomtown tomorrow night, which which is really interesting because that's a uh, that's a tough game to teach. You know, actually, oh. I'm surprised I didn't think of that when we were talking about tough games to teach earlier. It's uh, it's funny to watch. Um, you know, the game the game can be really fast and it can be really lethal. Typically, most people's first game of Doomtown involves moving all of your people into the middle area, which is the town square, and then having one giant shootout, which is a whole lot of fun, but it results in, you know, everybody dying on one side, and then the game can end on the first turn. Um, <laughs> so that's, uh, you kind of have to, like, temper people's expectations almost a little bit if they're going to get into that, because uh, that's, you know, once you know what you're doing, typically that's not how a game's going to play out, but uh, but it very well can if, you, if you've got two people who are learning. And uh, it's... Uh, in, in in theme with the setting, I think one of the most important skills in that game is knowing when you're licked and knowing when to run home with your tail between your legs, like the coward you should be so that you can fight another day. Um, 
because if all your guys die, you're you're not really going to come back from that. So, but uh, but yeah, it's a good game. I mean, the theme's really strong, really unique mechanics. So, uh, I think it'd be real popular. There you go, Mario. I got a song title for us: "The Gambler." You know, when no one to count your. <laughs> There you go. Oh, nice. Pull out some Kenny Rogers. There we go. Exactly. Um, he turned 76 so, uh, this past week. Anyway, sorry. Um, so uh, uh, Lance had mentioned Rodney. Uh, we have mentioned uh, Rodney's Indiegogo uh, campaign in the past. That is still going on. If you want to go out there and support him, he, he was nice enough to come on and co-host with us a few episodes when Tony was gone. So uh, we love all the stuff that uh, that uh, he does. And like Lance said, you know, that's his, that's his full-time job. So – and that, that's how he makes a living um, is off this stuff. Tony and I have a couple other contests that's going to be happening over the next uh, couple months. Uh, we're lining up some more guests to come on. So, oh, do we have an at the table question, Tony? Or is that, uh, did I spring that on you too quick? You sprung it on me too quick. I'm spent. After these two guys, I'm done. That's it. I'm over. <laughs> Well, well, we'll have an at the table question for uh, September as soon as uh, Tony comes up one comes up with one for us. Yeah. So, but once again, guys, thank you so much for being on the air tonight with us. We really do appreciate Lance taking time out from the family and all, and we enjoyed seeing your daughter here. It's too bad we're not doing an online video, and everybody else could appreciate her running around in the background. That was awesome. You know, uh, she she was real cute back there. And Lee, thank you so much. Can't wait to get you back to the table for a little net runner schooling. I mean, Marty won last time, and I came in fourth, so we don't want you coming back because we actually got prizes. And the last time I was like sixth, yeah, and you were like fifth. So fourth, dude, don't shut me out. Fourth, baby. Huh? Okay, so I was fifth. I was one. Behind. I was I one behind you. I don't understand, but anyway, because because Lee wasn't there running the scoring for the tournament. Okay. That, that must have been it. So anyway, but guys, we really do appreciate it. And uh, for everybody that was listening, just keep rolling dice. And taking names. You can follow us on Twitter at Dice and Names. Or why don't you visit our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. Or if you prefer, subscribe on iTunes. Or how about visiting our guild page on Board Game Geek. Okay, Marty, the next yeah. time you invite somebody on the show, make sure they know what show they're getting on, okay? <laughs> so I talk to Lance a lot online on Facebook and whatnot, and first thing he comes on the show, we're talking, it's like, so what's the name of your show again? It's like, oh, humbled. Humbled, big time. <laughs>